Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tales from the Core. I'm uh, Mike Frank Francis here with Neil Falver. And uh, this is going to be super awesome, super special Tales from the Core, probably tales that you will never, ever hear again in your lifetime. We have the awesome honor of having Scott Gibson with us, who portrayed Captain Andrew Haldane in the Pacific, which is an HBO miniseries. I don't know why I'm explaining it to you guys, because most of us are all Marines and have seen it. But for those of you who haven't, it's just an incredible miniseries on what our Marine brothers and Navy brothers and sisters, for that matter, went through in the Pacific Theater during World War II. So with that said, Scott, you know, thank you so much for taking some time and, and joining us today. My pleasure. I hope I can live up to that intro and provide for everybody that's listening. It's, it's no, no pressure. Yeah. This was definitely the most nervous I was ever for doing a, an intro. So we're all just dealing with some, some things here. Yeah, right. Today. No, um, that was great. But yeah, so as we were chatting a little bit on the days leading up to this thing, and we always like to ask people who come on to give us a little bit of their backstory, what led up to their time in the core. For you, that'd be your time leading up to portrayal of, of Andy. And yeah, just you want to give us the rundown on your life and getting into acting, how that happened and up to getting the part in the Pacific. How much time do we have? As much time as you want. As much as I need. Yeah. Okay. So always wanted to be an actor, grew up here in Ottawa, had the jock light, work, football, rugby, chase girls, all of the above. Never got into acting during that time. I went to University of Western Ontario, which is about six hours west of here. And there was an English and drama program. So I finally thought that's my time. I'm going to give this a go as an actor. And away from all my jock buddies and brothers who might abuse me for wearing tights and getting on stage and all that. <laughs> I got into the acting program there. And then subsequently, after a few years, one of my teachers said we should try and do another uh, program, a repertory theater, a proper program. So I went to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, which is one of the top theater schools in the world. Did that for a year which was amazing just to be able to study there in London, England, a wonderful program, great teachers and students. And after that, I moved back to Toronto, which was, geez, 30 years ago now, I think. Started my career, uh, tried theater. Like it's not that big in Canada. It's a lot more difficult than the UK or the States. It's just a much smaller market, not as much going on, harder to make a living, that kind of thing. But I got into film and TV right away and that took off quite well. And, and that, that leads me right up to where the uh, Band of Brothers, when that came out. And right. the, auditions, the auditions for that, I think that was 1998, maybe, I'm thinking. But every dude I knew, but her no, or knew at the time, just, you know, wanted to be a part of that story, you know, who was doing it, Spielberg and Hanks. I, I got the book, you know, read that. And then I'd done a couple of projects that led me to go to LA for a bit. I had a manager and agent and I tried to get an audition while I was there for bands and I couldn't, ended up going back to Toronto where I was living and I put myself on tape. The initial 
audition everyone had to do for band was were spears. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason they chose that. And I wanted I I thought I was Winters. I wanted to be Winters. Mm -hmm. So I set a tape and obviously that didn't happen. And then cut to 10 years later, almost, and I got an audition for the Pacific. And I looked at the breakdown of it, and it's the Pacific Spielberg's Hanks shooting in Australia. And I thought, I'm never fucking getting this. I'm not even going to bother auditioning. <laughs> Truthfully, I, I was just like, fuck it, I'm not doing it. And then the next day, I'm like, I, I should really just give this a go. I just had some kind of feeling about doing it, and I hadn't been working much at that time. Was that 2007, 2000, yeah, uh, 2007. So I went with this thing on tape, they sent it and I just forgot about it. And a month, a few months later, my agent said, you remember that thing you auditioned for the Pacific? And yeah, so the casting director saw it and flagged your audition. She really liked it. And you just, you're in consideration for it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get this. It's not going to happen. The time just kept going by months later. And then finally it got to about July. I went back to Ottawa and my agent phoned and said, they want to fly you to LA and meet the producer, Tony Toe, and maybe have to do an audition. And I hadn't done anything a long time. And I thought, fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to go there and just blow it in the room. Sounded completely Canadian and <laughs> just blow the audition in the room. So I asked my agent, do you think they'd just booked me off the tape that I did. And she's, she goes, I don't even want to ask. Anyway, so I flew there. It was like a Tuesday. I flew there on a Thursday and I ended up staying up all night because I just couldn't go to sleep. And I was just going through what I wanted to do in the room and stick with that. So I thought if I fall asleep, wake up in the morning, that might change. Anyway, I stayed up. I went to the office where Tony Toe was. Meg Lieberman, the casting director, and she, amazing casting director, a big part of why those series worked. I think so popular and well done was Meg Lieberman and Cammie Patton as well. Anyway, met them, had a great conversation. And then Tony Toe says, all right, let's do the scenes. Like, okay. Um, there are three scenes and I got up and I went behind his desk. There's and I'd looked behind, he's on a couch and I looked and on his shelf was bookcase where Golden Globe and Emmy for Band of Brothers, <laughs> statues staring at me at the face like, yeah, no pressure. I remember turning, looking at the wall and I'm just like, fuck it, just leave it all out there. And I did each scene. He was like, great. Maybe you could do it a bit this way or Tony's like, oh, it's great. It's great. So finish the scenes and then it's okay. Thanks very much for showing up and uh, we'll be in touch. Just ended that abruptly, like a bad date or whatever you want to imagine. Ends right. abruptly. Anyway, I left the room and all of a sudden Tony came out. He, he said, Scott, can you just hang on a minute? And he closed the door. I am thinking, okay, probably maybe they want me to read for another role or do something different again. I think I nervously flirted with the secretary that was sitting there <laughs> just to get my mind off the kind of thing. And she's pretty cute. Uh, and then he, there you go, man. Like you're already perfect for the Marine role. Like, yeah, you know. exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> right. Say that. Yep. And then he, the door opened and he walked out and he had a stack of manila envelopes 
And he just handed them to me and said, here's some reading for the flight home. I think you're going to need it. And it was all 10 scripts on the Pacific. And I was just like, I couldn't say anything. And he goes, I can't. He just couldn't say the words per se. And then make a few feet behind. She's like, Tony, we're not supposed to do it that way. We got to go. Like it's Spielberg and Hank said to sign off on it and whoever else. But that was basically a formality at that point. That's how I booked it. So the, the scenes you did, were the scenes for Andy or were they just random? How does that work? No, they were for Andy. There was one with, one with Sledge where he comes to the CP after you, one of the Marines gets shot by another Marine. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't by Sledge, but I guess he's maybe frozen the scene or I don't know if he was shot or whatever he, I forget exactly what he was saying to, uh, Captain Haldane. And then at the end of the scene, and he just looks at him and says, just, if, if you see him, shoot him. It's pretty obvious what he's telling him that, right. uh, great scene. So we didn't do that one. And I think the other two were from the series, but I can't remember what they were. Okay. But, but you were Andy in all of them. That's okay. So they wanted you there for that, that perfect role. Yeah. They, it, so during production initially, Tony, he said that your tape for Andy was just the best one that we saw. Okay. You just have that rare opportunity as an actor that for certain roles, you're just it. They just see you as it, which I didn't certainly hope for. And I felt a real connection to the role or, and to Andy, but I, I had, I told Tony the whole story of, I didn't want to go to the audition or I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to go into the room and do it and lose it. And this was at the end of, at the end of production, but he had told me all, all the way through, he said, man, you just, there was no one in the room with you when you went on tape and it was, well, you didn't have any direction and you just nailed it. And I asked him about the different choices and he said, we wanted, initially we thought of Joshua Jackson, Dawson's Creek and another Canadian guy, but yeah, but they brought him in and he read. And so I guess he maybe at the top of the list kind of thing, but a few months went by and then his manager phoned up Tony and said, listen, we got to pull Josh from consideration. His, this movie he signed on for is greenlit now. So he's got to do that conflicts with the series. And so Tony's okay. And he goes, just curious, what's the movie? And the manager says it's Fletch, a, a remake of the Chevy chase from Fletch. Yeah. And it never happened. It never got made for whatever yeah. reason fell oh. through. He got on the phone with Meg Lieberman and then he said, the Canadian guy, Scott. I'd just bring him in. He's the guy. And that was it. And then I, he told me all that and I said, wow. And I said, I didn't, I, I was going to turn down coming here. I don't know. Maybe would you hire me off tape? We, I think. And so I got to ask you, would you have hired me off tape? It's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yo. I just thought, sorry, Mike. No, go ahead, brother. Go. Okay. Yeah. Scott, I was about to say it's, I think it's really cool, man, that you were you know, you're originally for Band of Brothers, you were gunning for Dick Winters. And then obviously you didn't get that part. And then here you are a decade later playing, portraying the 
Marine equivalent of a Dick Winters and Captain Haldane. I, I just find that the, the coolest thing, man. Yeah, it was uh, luckily, I guess, genetically, I looked young enough because I think I may, I may have looked at, uh, too young at the time for Winters, even though Damian Lewis and I think are about the same age. Like I'm 54. So when I did the Pacific, I was 38. All the guys beneath me, for the most part, were like 10 years younger. So, like I was the old guy, but didn't look it. Had I looked that much older, I, I don't think I would have got it. But Andy was twenty-seven when he was killed on Peleliu, so I was thirty-seven and maybe looked twenty-seven. Although he looked well, going through what he went through, but he went completely gray. Oh uh, yeah, but from Pavuvu through the time in. A matter of a month and a half or two months, he went pink with bread. There's a, we joke about it, especially infantry guys, man. Like you're 18, you get to the fleet, and the guy in charge of you is 22, but a dude looks like he's 40. You know, it, <laughs> oh, it, yeah. it, it just, it, it ages you. We had a sergeant major that, my God, the guy looked every bit of 70 years old, but I think he was probably like 40. You know, he looked like he was people's grandfather. It, it, it takes a toll on you so yeah for what it's uh, worth though it's interesting you're talking about being hired off tape and just in the short amount of time like talking with you here and before we started recording and then you almost have this natural like a good officer vibe right mm -hmm. like yep. we all know about shit officers we've had them but even i did a binge watch just because it was like 13 years ago that came out so I was like, shit, I need to, so I spent the last couple of days binge watching to, to refresh my memory of everything that happened. And yeah, you remind me a lot, your, you yourself and your portrayal of Andy, of the captain we had going to Iraq, who we, ca Captain Pitchford, who's now Colonel Pitchford, we love that dude to death. There's, we had him at the reunion that we just had in May and yeah, so it's cool having the opportunity to have served with a guy who you similar to someone that you got to portray in the Pacific. I, I've heard that it's so flattering and humbling from you guys or every Marine I've met in the last 13 years uh, or other service people. There's a guy that he just messaged me yesterday because someone tagged me on that, a picture of Andy on like Facebook. So I thanked the guy, but I didn't know it would go into my feed. And then, so all these people were commenting on it and one of them, Joe Muccia the mooch and I believe he was with the Rangers in Grenada, written a book about that. And he does tours in, in Europe, follow the path of easy company and super cool guy that is in with him before, but he wrote yesterday that it was something like that was the finest portrayal of an act of an officer I've seen in any TV or. That's so flattering, right? Like it's better than any kind of award you could ever get. But anytime I, I, I meet Marine, I was just in Hawaii for eight yep. days, the Pacific with my Pacific boys and the Pearl Harbor commemorations, which was incredible. I went to the Marine base when you have these kids that are like, I saw that in high school and that's why I joined the Marine Corps. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. blown away, right? Or they recognize you and. Those guys are, are their heroes, the old breed, right? And 
they're they're just like they're they're so keen on on uh, on meeting you, which is which is very humbling. If I, if no, I could, if, no one shot at us. <laughs> if I could piggyback off of you, Mike, talking about your the officer that everybody loved, Mike, everybody I think has that same story. Every unit has that officer that you know they uh, run literally take a bullet for, right? So, Scott, whenever you portrayed Captain Haldane, it, it reminded me so much of my very first platoon commander heading over to Iraq, Lieutenant Jones. We love this guy so much. He came in, he was actually, he came in from, he graduated from Annapolis, I think as an engineer, if I remember correctly. And first thing he did was he got us all together as a platoon. And he said, look, I don't know the first thing about combat. Squad leaders, you guys have been there and done it. Afghanistan and Iraq, some of your three, four deployments. I'm listening to you guys. All, it like like that instantly. We're all, oh my God, we love this guy. And he just continued that throughout his entire time with us. It got to the point, this is funny. It got to the point where whenever we saw him walking, you know, around in the quad, he'd be going from building to building or whatever. We would, there'd be like a squad size element, Mike, of all of us running out in front of him just to salute him, to get a return salute from him. <laughs> and then yeah. we did it again. And he was laughing, laughing the whole time doing it. <laughs> a, a testament to the character and, and the man and the Marine that he was. And a fine officer, man, just loved him. And I thought you captured it perfectly. That, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mike? No, I'll, I'll go ahead and finish. And then I've got my thought. Just that I, you get all the research material, everything about the 1st Marine Division, the 5th, the K-3-5, the war, it sent you like a stack of material. But part of that was also letters that Andy had written home, not to his family, but to the dean of his college, Bode, and his football coach. Because Andy was a all-star football player, baseball player, president of students council. He was the dude. But he, in all these letters, he talked about his men and he talked about Bowden and he talked about the football team. And then going back to the, how proud he was of the men that were serving under him. And there was a real humility in that, that I just drew on for the character. And you only see him, un unfortunately, in Pele Lou. So. I had to take it in, where was he at this point in the war? Like not obviously the same as Guadalcanal or the Cape Gloucester was where he got, uh, the silver star, right? I think it was the mm -hmm. silver star. Yeah. Yep. And that, what he did there was just, if you'd have seen that, or if they'd been able to portray it because he was on a patrol and he got surrounded by the Japanese and that was the Imperial army, like the big boy yeah. pushed up this hill and there's a, a Marine, his name's Garrett Chitrosky and, and uh, he's in the reserves and he's written a book about it biography. So he's just in the process of fit, finishing it. And he was able to interview a few guys that were with Andy at the time in his company. And I guess this one guy said he's, they're up there on this hill and they're getting attacked by the Japanese and it was hand to hand combat. And he looks down the line and he sees Andy and he's got his K-bar in one hand and a 45 in the other. And he puts the K-bar through this Jap Japanese guy and he goes, he flicked him off that night like he was throwing a football. <laughs> Which is insane. 
And, but then you read it, that's the type of warrior he was and leader, but he also had this humility and calmness and wasn't one to raise his voice to his men. He was firm, but he was fair, but he never belittled them or shoot was just, so you take that all into account in terms of playing the role and thankfully I had all those letters. Uh, that's what really helped portray him. It's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It's interesting because a lot of what you said, and then Neil and I were talking prior, just 30 minutes prior, mm-hmm. making sure proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. We were talking about how amazing of a job everybody did. If we just sat down next to everybody portraying who they did, we wouldn't know they weren't Marines, right? Yeah. It was like so amazing. And we were telling, we were joking about some of the overlap. And one of the things we we're talking about was Sid when he went to Sledge's house and his mom asked, tell me the truth about my son. And he said, he's with Marines. He's with the first Marines. They're the best. And one of my close friends who I grew up with got killed in Ramadi in June, 2006. And oh, I went back home for Christmas and another local kid's mom his son had, or her son had just got sent to Ramadi. And so she came to me and she said, but you've been over there, right? Like how, tell me the truth. Like almost, and we were in a Walgreens. So I was just telling Neil, it's crazy. The things you can remember how vivid it is. And the first thought that I think Ramadi, I think of Riley, right? And, and I told her, I said, Ms. Palazzoa, I was like, he's over there with Marines and that's the safest place you can be. Right. And then just, and then that, that literally back in the forties, the similar conversations were had. And I was telling Neil, I said, are we just like evolved or something? Like how Marine, we don't change. We are the same people <laughs> as those yeah. guys were all those years ago. And, and for you to be able there, there has to be something even special about you beyond just being able to portray Andy, that, that you have some kind of a characteristic, right. That allowed you to really honor him and, and live up to what he did and, and how he led Marines. So it's, the whole thing's just fucking crazy, man. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, no, I got it. Just, I flew to Hawaii, what was it, the 1st of December, but I had to go through Dallas and I have a buddy there, Mitch Taco Bell, and he was in the Marines. He flew uh, C-130s, I think, mm. in Afghanistan. And he's a pilot for American Airlines now. So he met me at the airport. We had breakfast and then walking towards my gate, and this guy's, hey, Mitch, turns out to be a Marine that he knows. I think the guy, where the guy's from, but maybe it must be Dallas. But anyways, you know, I think he was flying to Florida or something. So they talked for a bit. Speaking of beards, Mitch didn't recognize him at first because the guy had paid for beard gone. <laughs> and then he introduced me, but he didn't say anything about the Pacific or anything like that. And then the guy turned, I, geez, I forget his name. He turns to me and he goes, where did we serve together? Was that East Coast or West Coast? <laughs> was then the, what theater of war, right? I, and then Mitch goes, no, this, yeah, he goes, this guy <laughs> betrayed Andy Haldane in the Pacific. And the guy's, fuck, I just watched that two nights ago. <laughs> but to get the right, they, I, I can completely understand yeah. that. And so many of the guys, the other actors, similarly, our portrayals and we had to do a boot camp. Yeah, tell us about that, please. We we love boot camp stories. 
Yeah, but was filming five, six, and seven. So mo- most of the other guys started before myself and John Bernthal and Rami Malik and Brendan Fletcher and Mark McCann. They were all in my boot camp, which was a separate only. We were only like three or four days, and the other one was nine or ten days, and. We get ribbed about, oh, it was only three or four days. And I tell the other guys, I didn't need as long to learn what I had to learn. <laughs> you, you, you jarhead goons. Yeah. It took, <laughs> it took you 10 days and I'm the captain. Yeah. Well, I'm the, yeah. <laughs> I'm the captain here. That's what I say yeah. to them now, but no, <laughs> it was Dale Dye and Warrior Zank, he's cadre, the real deal and go get to Australia. You're in the hotel for a few days and. Then we, they shipped us off to, was, Phuket was in the same place. It was in the rainforest, the Daytree rainforest, middle of nowhere. And I remember getting on the bus in the morning and Freddie Joe Farsworth, a uh, retired Marine. He did a couple tours in Iraq, I believe. He gets on there and he's the gunny and he just, shut the fuck up, sit down, I'll fucking say the deal. And, but the whole time I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm the only officer here. And I just didn't, I'm like, just leave me with the guys. Don't single me out or anything. In my head, I'm just telepathy, like, fuck, okay, okay. Then we get off the bus and you line up and DXO, Mike Stokey, who he's a retired Marine. He did a few tours in Vietnam. I think he was also a Marine correspondent, like Dale Dye, who as those guys were, oh, they were right there in the, in the thick of it on the front lines, making their stories. So anyways, he told us, okay, this was going to go on for your boot camp. And, and then he goes, Lieutenant Haldane, sir, he's here with me. Everyone else over there. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and what I didn't know is Dale and, or Stokey had told the Gunnies, Gunny Whitfield and Gunny Farnsworth said, well, I have a few days with this guy and he's got a pretty significant part. So just, I got him. Okay. He's got him. They're like, far. Don't tell me that. I'll, they want to rip everyone. You asshole. <laughs> so he's here with us going back to the CP and I'm like, sir. And then I could see that walking towards right, right towards where I was with Stokey and the Stetson's like there and they're just fucking just gunning. Oh yeah. Brady oh, yeah. Joe was gunning me and, I, and Stokey's talking and I'm going, I don't know what the fuck he's saying. Cause this guy's coming right for me and he gets about two or three yards away and he goes, going back to your bitch tent. Bitch. <laughs> Spits tobacco right in my feet. And I just, I, I wet myself a bit there for sure. Oh. But the, the thing is, they, they did, for the most part, lead me. They, they ignored me, is what they did. <laughs> they burnt, uh, obviously not when they were doing any of the training. And, you know, you go into the boot if you're an officer, you're... I was captain, so in boot, you're lieutenant, and everyone got a name, bitch eyes, or whatever. I was so. He called me Lieutenant Dick Licker. So he, he'd go, Dick Licker, get the fuck over here and learn something. Get, oh, get, get, get down on that 30 cal. Fucking just don't hold the trigger. Fucking die, motherfucker, die. Just three words. Die, that's, motherfucker, that's die. That's it, man. That is it. Yeah. But then they trained us on all the different weapons, nowhere near long enough for sure, but it was absolutely like you, but there was no movie. You weren't a character. There were, you had your MREs, you had 
and they cook them over your little stove. Someone actually, some, some of the enlisted guys put up my tent. I had that privilege because I'm like, I don't know how to fuck to put this thing. I, I could put my gators on backwards initially when you trip over yourself. <laughs> but then D- Dale came to visit the second or third day and he had a chat with me and it was intimidating to meet him. But he was always like, Lieutenant Haldane and but on see you in a few days. And at the end, he shakes my hand. He's like, all right, Lieutenant, I'll see you in a few days. And he's shaking my hand. And for some reason, just complete brain fart. But I went, it's captain, sir. <laughs> and I went, and I just, I can feel the, bl- the blood in my body as he squeezed my hand ever so harder. And then he pulls me in close and he goes, not till I say you're God damn it. <laughs> I was about then, to say, so you actually got, you got promotions throughout this. You were from Lieutenant and you had to work your way out of captain. Yeah. <laughs> and Freddie was like, he's like dick liquor. And when I, at night I wasn't with the other guys, I was at the CP. So there was Stokey. Freddie Joe, Whitfield, Sergeant Bunch, all Marines that served, all them, all Marines that toured. In fact, Whitfield left the second, I think it was the end of the second day because he got called back to Iraq. Wow. He was one of Freddie Joe's, this guy's one of the top mortarmen in the Corps. Um, he left. And then when I graduated, actually, the funny thing was doing PT. And I wasn't a runner. You do PT in the morning, you got to do the two mile, right? Stop after a while, you do all the push ups and sit ups till you puke kind of thing. And then you get up and run back. My legs just seized the fuck up. I had, they were cramping so bad. And I'm leading the run, and then guys are passing me and they're hesitating to pass me. And I'm like, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> so I was one of the last guys coming in, except for this dude who just kept puking. And Whitfield's, he's like, Haldane, he's like, but he, he was, he was good about it. He just said, You're, you got to be the leader. You got to be the tip of the spear the whole time and lead these guys. That's your, that's your job kind of thing. I'm like, yes, Kenny, yes, Kenny. And then at the end of it, he was already gone, but you graduate. And after all, like Freddie Joe ignoring me and calling me dick licking for three, four days and LT comes up and Captain Haldane and he saluted me and. I can't remember if he pinned the Eagle, I think he pinned the Eagle Globe and Anchor on my collar. And then, and Freddie Joe just kept no thing. So I saluted him, but I just, I like, I felt like I teared up a bit, right? It was just, Dude, you, bro- I, you broke it for a few days and then the guy gives you the utmost respect and I'm like tearing up and then I book great friends with him now. But afterwards he, he was like, yes, yeah, I, I saw you tear up, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, man. Like I blame it on my brother. But whenever I got my Eagle Globe and Anchor at the end of boot camp and yeah, I was first squad, so I'm right there. And I don't know how my family managed to do it, but they were sitting right there, front row of the bleachers. And like oh, my wow. brother's this big dude, seven years older, like jacked, always oh, the big brother. And I see that dude start tearing up. And so <laughs> that's why I cried. That's why I teared up because of him whenever I received my Eagle Globe and Anchor. Yeah, just when they, they were just so good about how they trained it. Neither one of those shows would have been the same without that element. Dale Dye and Cadre, the training we did, and to a man, any of us will tell you that. 
and they're just such a huge part of both of those series and so much credit goes to them because we just, once you were filming, you never really thought like you could, you know, if your rifle jammed, you could fix it and go on with the scene. Or if you had to change a mag or whatever you had to do, you just didn't think about it because of the training that they gave us. And I had Dale with me in my group. We, we were two different units. We had a blue unit and a red unit because you'd film different episodes at the same time. The Leckie's group would be doing something else. And then they got Sledge and Aldane. So it all mixed around, but I had Dale. He was with Blue, Blue Unit the whole time. And, and initially he was getting me, he'd encourage me. He was like, this guy over here and that guy. And Dale, he, he just barking shit. And I never thought, I don't want to portray Haldane that way. So we filmed F7. We did, we filmed five and then seven and then six. And F7, Haldane's leading the company up into the hills on Pellisville. <laughs> and, but I had, I told you Haldane went gray. So the hair and makeup. I had to get gray put into my hair, even though fucking would rarely ever see him without a helmet on. So I'm going, why are they bothered? But anyway, it would take longer. And anyways, this one day I make it to set late and I go up to the skipper and he all that's, he called me skipper the entire time and gave me every bit of respect. He, he thought the man was due, not me, but mm. Andy, which was great. But he played my role rehearsing the scene as they're going up into the hills with the whole company. And he's like, this is what you do. You're moving. The and then that's my Dale Dye imitation. Course, but <laughs> <Pretty you know>. good. <laughs> everybody, everybody's got the Dale Dye board. This is what you got to do. You're going up into the hills. You got to move the whole company out. You fucking weapons going here. And this, he's doing all the fucking. Yeah. Knife hands. <laughs> yeah. Knife hands. <laughs> the knife hands. He, it wasn't too bad with that. But anyway, I, I'm just I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But in the back of my head, I'm going, I, I'm not going to do it like that. I can't do it like that. So Sergeant Bunch, he was first Sergeant, company Sergeant. And he was right beside me at the back, very back of the line. And I said to him, I go, when they say action, I'm just going to ask you if the company's ready, you say yes. And then I'm going to get you. I'm just going to say, all right, move them out. And then I went and looked at my map and I just walked the whole way and didn't say a fucking word. So we did that a few times, got all the way through the filming. Okay. Moving on to the next scene. And then I see Dale walking up to me and I'm going, oh, fuck, what's he going to say? But he came right up to me and he goes, Skipper, every officer has his own way of leading. And I respect that. Shook my hand and walked away. And that's that I knew it was like, fuck, okay. I'm on to something here. You got it. He always, we, we would always look to those guys at Dale or, you know, did I do this right kind of thing? Or it, or the, the gunnies were there. Like we, we wanted first and foremost to get that right. as portraying the Marine. Yeah. That right. It was the most important thing for us. Scott, I know that since you didn't actually have Captain Haldane himself, obviously, because he was KIA on Peleliu, you didn't have him to ask questions later on for, for the role, you actually got me in contact with his nephew, Stephen. Steve Moore, yeah. Yeah. And how much of getting Captain Haldane correct went into getting you know, in contact with Stephen and, and maybe getting any information from him about Captain Haldane? Uh, I just, I, I had one sort of long phone conversation before I went to Australia with a, 
with him and yeah, like he was a Marine, a Marine Mustang, like Dale Dye. So we talked about him a bit. I was just getting to know him because I felt like I was talking to Andy in a way. Mm. So as much as I could glean from him about his experiences and what he talked about with his uncle, that helped me a lot. But the one thing that I said to him might've been initially or towards the end, I, I can't remember, but I said, these are some big boots to fill. And he says, I don't think Andy would say that. Oh. And I don't think any of those guys would, right? Any of the guys that come back, the vets that are still alive, a lot of men that, that they'd ever say they were a hero or anything like that. But it just, I was like, yeah, it's that guy. Like he's really that guy. And I got to uh, befriend RV Bergen. Yeah. Um, so RV and Sid Phillips went to our premiere in Hollywood at Grauman's Chinese Theater. And my buddy Martin McCann, glorious Irish bastard that he is, mm. who, yeah. portrayed, who portrayed RV Bergen. <laughs> he introduced me. Come on over and, you know, I can't imitate him. I do a pretty good Irish, but anyways, he said, he introduced me to RV, who was in his dress blues. I'm like, holy shit. And he goes, RV, this is Scott. He's portraying the skipper, Captain Aldane. And RV just, he's standing there and he just looks at me from toe to the top of my head. And he goes, we'll have to see how you measure up. <laughs> and subsequently, he told me you know, that he thought I did a great job. And I met him in Texas after that, like maybe the next year or something like that, at a restaurant for lunch. And he came, I, was, I was already there, but he came in and, and he ran it. He ran into the room and just so spry and what a beautiful man. The only thing I really asked him, oh, I, that it, I just wanted, what was your toughest day in that, in, in your campaign? And he said, crossing that airfield. Mm. Mm -hmm. He goes, that was the longest day of my life. And he, he goes, it might've only been a few minutes, but it felt like forever because we were getting shelled and it was a beautiful sunny day and blue sky. And some guys were running, some guys were walking, some guys had stops. It was just utter fucking chaos. And then we see what it's like. It's all the trees. There's no foliage, right? It all burnt, blown up. It looks like they're on the moon or something, fighting kind of thing. But he said that was his long day. And obviously when the, when, the, when Andy was killed, that was sure horrendous yeah. for, for all of those guys. And I actually went to RV's funeral five, six years ago, met his family. That's where I met Mitch, Mitch Bell. And RV had the, the theme of the Pacific play at the end of the service. Oh man. Yeah. He really yeah. loved, there were things that he'd say, oh, building wasn't like that. Like Bill wasn't an asshole and snafu is sometimes you couldn't find the guy when the shit hit <laughs> I don't, I don't know that snafu was the most well-liked guy, not that he was a horrible person or anything like that, but he didn't go to any of the, any of the reunions. I think the only one he went to was when Sledge died. It's weird because there's, right, we experienced that. And we actually just had a reunion back in May. And so actually I was an Iraq tour. I was the section leader of the assault men, which I guess in the Pacific were the equivalent of the guys that shot the rockets and the flamethrowers. 
That's oh, kinda, right. Yeah. yeah, those were like our heroes, right? Sure. Um, we're like, God, why'd they take the, why'd they take the flamethrower away? <laughs> <laughs> so we did the rockets, which, and we did some demolitions and breaching and different things like that. And so the guy who took over the section from me, who just, he's definitely like the closest dude that, so that's my boy, man. I love that dude, John Stow, love him to death. And he took the section and led them on that 07 deployment. Neil went on. And so he hit me up about this, the Simplifying America's Fund does reunions. They pay for everything. They pay for your flight. They pay for where you stay, the food, everything but the alcohol, right? Boom, bro. That's where we, right? Yeah. Like, listen, guys, we can afford everything else, but like the alcohol, we can't afford that. Yeah, exactly. we can't afford that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> He asked me if I'd co-host it because you had to have one. And I was like, sure, as long as I don't have to do anything. Like, you're the section leader now. I'll sit back and you do it all. And it's amazing. You would think that it's this awesome event that everybody would want to go to. But we still had people that were super reluctant to go and actually didn't go. They even signed up that they were going to go. One of them, who he did go, he called me. We were leaving on a Friday. He called me on Thursday. And he just had this severe anxiety. And I was like, me too, bro. I'm like, I'm co-hosting this thing. And I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to come up with an excuse or talk my way out of going. And I went and he went also. And it was the most incredible thing that like I've experienced since I got out in 07. And we shared it in Facebook and all this stuff. And so then our boots, like Neil over here, <laughs> A-Train is putting one together for their 07 deployment. And I was telling Neil, I said, dude, whatever you do. Whatever feelings might come up, just fucking go. You have to go. Go be around the guys. And and I so I can relate with that. I can see where maybe he didn't want to be around the guys, just different anxieties and reasons, even though they had all of that together. It, we're fucked up in the head, man. There's yeah, there's a yeah. lot of wiring we've got to figure out still. Oh god, yeah. They already told me they tease Sledge about his book. I they yeah. tease them. <laughs> they tease because, them. but I think they're even with such a beautifully written book expose about first and I find a better one that a grunt wrote for any war really and it was just but he said that he embellished a few things so he oh. they razz him a bit about that and we don't yeah I don't they try I know. Rami tried to, or HBO tried to get in touch with Snafu's family, but just couldn't. There's just like, there's always those guys. They're actor guys. We're not, they're not as a part of the group of guys I'm with now that went to Hawaii with, and I've been to Normandy a few times. I was the only Pacific guy in Normandy the last two years, but hopefully a couple more of them will go. But yeah, we have, we, and same, same with the band guys. We have an extraordinary bond because yeah, of yeah. That, that particular project and those roles portraying real men. And it just, we're still blown away by the response and the response we got in Hawaii was incredible. They're wanting to invite us to Okinawa and Iwo Jima and this colonel at the, I think it's Smith, D.H. Smith. It's a, the two Marine bases on Hawaii is one of Keno. Kanahoa. On oh, the yeah. K-Bear. 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 I, I can't remember the other one now. It's Smith, but I think it's D.H. Smith. Then we met Brigadier General there. Or the head honcho was away or 
deployed. Maybe he's on a deployment. I can't remember, but they, the colonel there, we did a talk and then he was like, geez, you guys gotta, you should go to Okinawa. Anything goes down in the South Pacific, Southeast Asia, those guys are the first, they're the first ones in. And if you guys could go there and visit, uh, they'd be just be a good boost for them. And some of the younger guys, the gunnery sergeant was saying the same thing. These are guys, these are boys that are going to be, if something goes down there and there seems to be, that's the biggest concern, obviously for the U.S. military is the Chinese. Sure. What, what, what an honor it would be to go there. And of course, I don't think any of us had turned down a trip to Okinawa. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm down. okay. I'm, I'm, but all these, you, you portrayed this, this person. And then all these other people would have like given you coins and come here and do this and do that. And but first for, I know some of the other guys, you're okay. I don't really deserve this kind of thing. But as years go by, embrace that and realize that you're portraying this real person and this hero to so many people, then that sort of takes the personal vanity or whatever issue you get, you have with it away and you're just able to embrace it and enjoy the time. And, you, you just see how people respond to you. The first couple of events I went to were Wounded Warrior events in LA. And the first one I went to and my buddy, Josh Baton, who played Sergeant Morgan, he was there at this table and there were two Marines in their blues. And one guy had burns over most of his body, he had hit an IED in Iraq. And then another guy was across from Josh. And the guy sitting beside Josh, He's looking at me and I got introduced to them. And then I get the guy beside Josh says, yeah, actually, can I get a picture? And Josh was like, oh yeah, sure. And he starts to stand beside him and he looks at me, he goes, no, I want one with the captain. <laughs> Which is, you're like, all right. So I'm like, and he didn't look like he had a scratch on him or anything. And I walk around the table and he stands up and he has no legs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy who brought us there, he said, these guys in the hospital, they watch Band of Brothers in the Pacific, like just constantly. Not a loop, yeah. And going to Pendleton and meeting so many of the guys you meet there and they're like, hey, bond that way. And it's an honor to do this and be here with you guys as well. We're very cognizant of how much that means to y'all and any, anything we can do or any time to talk about it. It's just a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah, we greatly appreciate it. And it's crazy that this whole podcast thing started off just me and one of my buddies were talking and just reliving, telling stories. And then it turned into, you know what, let's just do a podcast, man. And Janine's yeah. a dear friend. She doesn't live far away. And then we started bringing other guys on to tell their stories. And then next thing people are telling us, they're like, dude, this is like therapy, not yeah, just right. listening, but being on there. So the guys we've had on and everybody's, this is there. It feels like therapy. And a lot of guys have started reaching out to other people, nice. even guys that didn't serve together. Guys that served before me are, Hey man, I heard your story to some guy that was served after me. And we're just growing this network uh, of brotherhood that we have. And then those Neil, thanks man for super cool that he, he told me the story. I'm like, how the hell do you do this guy? And he's a <laughs> man. He's it affected me so much. He's I just wanted to reach out and thank all the guys for how they did it. And he's he replied and we've chatted back and forth. And so having you 
on you're, you're part of the it's a cult man i don't care what anybody says we're a cult <laughs> you're part of it yeah man <laughs> honorary marine over here oh man but like it, that's the, yeah there's so many that, thank you so much there's so many rings that have told me that mitch taco bell he started a podcast tall tales with taco the interviews that he's had with people that have served are incredible, but the first one started because he had met me and he goes, Hey, I think this would be cool if I just want to get in, get on here. So I got on there with Freddie Joe Farnsworth and he doesn't have, I don't think that one exists any longer, just technology we're using and stuff like that. Right. He's been on there for a few years now, every Tuesday doing it. And, and that's wow. how it started. That's how it started. Yeah. Was. And I did the anniversary of his hundredth episode. And even though you're talking about the same thing or telling like the same stories all the time, they just, they seem very fresh and you know how people are going to respond to it as well. So that's a very captive audience, right? Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. we always try to, you know, we try to always add some kind of benefit, right? Guys are in different businesses and professions and things now. So whether they can share some finance advice or dealings with the V just tips and tricks, things to help and benefit the community. That's usually how we, we try to wrap it up and just tell some stories, have a good time and share some good at the end of it. Oh yeah. With that said, we're going to take a short break. The rest of y'all got to wait a week, but uh, <laughs> we get to hurry up and wait, right? <laughs> we get to go forward. <laughs> yeah. So oh, we're yeah. going to take a we're going to take a short break and the rest of you guys tune in next Tuesday, Spotify, Apple, download it, five-star review. And Scott, I will thank you for being on, even though we're going to be doing this again here in five more minutes Yeah, and um, look, look forward to the second half. Thank you again. Got, yeah. Thanks I again. Got more, I got more stories. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of questions oh. that I've been holding up. So <laughs> we're going to let them rip the second half. Awesome. Look forward to it.